Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Uh, Well, this passage is kind of all about glory, but what actually is glory? It's not a word that we use all that often in our common everyday language. So I thought, well, what better place to discover how glory is used than in social media? Hashtag glory. What do you think I found? Not much, really. Yeah, rubbish, pretty much, is what I found. There's glory associated with politics. There's glory associated with war. There's glory associated with sport. It's the most fleeting of all glory, I think, particularly if you're a Parramatta supporter. There's glory associated with religion. And then there I found this image with the caption, Chicks dig scars, pain is temporary, glory is forever. <laughs> there you go. That ends the... No, it doesn't. Um, in all of this, there was a common theme, though, that did come up from the associations of glory. And the common theme was that glory comes from some sort of victory. They have to experience some sort of victory to have glory and often that victory comes from within us. So if we search our hearts more deeply, if we drive our hearts to try a bit harder or if we inspire our hearts to play a bit smarter and get a few scars, then glory awaits us. Well, as I said, the passage that we come to is all about glory. But it's a dense passage with language that can be difficult to get our heads around. So let me give you the takeaway, which is here on the screen. It's that human hearts don't reveal God's glory, but God's glory reveals human hearts. Now, Paul, who writes this letter, also links glory to victory. You may remember last week we talked about Christ Jesus leading the victorious triumphal procession, that noisy procession that could be heard, about Christ in his victory then allowing his aroma to spread through his people and about Christ in his victory by his spirit transforming the hearts of the Corinthians in a real visible way. So great is this glory, this glory of the ministry of the Spirit that Paul talks about, that he says it far surpasses the glory revealed under Moses. That glory, he says, resulted in death and condemnation, while the glory of the Spirit results in life and righteousness. Now, this is where we kind of need to understand what Paul is saying. We need to get our Old Testament on and do a bit of a history lesson. And the place to look for this background is in Exodus chapter 32 to 34. And we just heard part of Exodus 34 being read. But let me just paint a picture rather than reading it all. Here it is. Israel had just been freed from captivity in Egypt. You might know that Exodus story. And God brought them to Mount Sinai where he assured them of his love for them and his commitment toward them. And part of that assurance was giving them what are known as the Ten Commandments and a whole range of other laws and instructions on how they were to now live with him. 
And the people received this really, really well. In, in fact, they were so enthusiastic. They were as enthusiastic as a teenage, teenager who's just been given the keys to the parent's car. They say, we will do what the Lord has said. We will obey. God then calls Moses up the mountain. And when he goes up, the glory of the Lord covers the mountain and it looks like to the Israelites below a consuming fire. Incredible scene. Moses goes into God's glory and he stays there for 40 days and 40 nights. Imagine that, 40 days and 40 nights in the glory of the Lord. I don't know if I should feel intimidated or excited by that idea or perhaps a bit of both. But what a privilege for Moses to go into that place, into God's glory. When Moses leaves the glory of the Lord and comes down the mountain, he has two tablets of stone, tablets of covenant law, tablets that remind him and the people of Israel of the promises God has made and of their special relationship with him. These tablets are written, we're told, by the very finger of God. But as Moses comes down the mountain, he's about to discover something about human hearts. While the glory of God rests on the mountain above, the people below have been busy making their own glory, the glory of a golden calf. And they worship that, saying, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. If we leave glory to our own hearts, this is what we end up with. We make idols. Our hearts are incapable of revealing God's glory. Rather, God's glory reveals human hearts. And what it revealed about human hearts was that human hearts are hard towards God and are sinful. Think about it. Within a few weeks of enthusiastically receiving God's Ten Commandments, these people had disobeyed explicitly the first two commandments. The commandment to not worship another God and the commandment to not make idols. The law was covered in glory. Moses had entered into the very presence of the glory of God to receive it. Yet it revealed hard, sinful hearts. God renews his promise to Israel through Moses. He reveals himself again to Moses and he provides Moses with two fresh stone tablets to replace the ones that Moses had broken when he saw the Israelites reveling around the golden calf. But when Moses comes down the mountain a second time, his face radiates with God's glory. And after speaking to the Israelites, he then puts a veil over his face, removing it each time he goes into the Lord's presence and then taking it off so they can see the glory again. The glory of Moses' ministry, what we know as the Old Covenant, was obvious. 
Moses radiated the glory. It's not that the old wasn't glorious, but it revealed hard, sinful hearts. It brought condemnation and judgment. It resulted in death. It was veiled glory. Paul then contrasts that with the ministry of the Spirit. And Paul says that God's glory not only reveals hard, sinful human hearts, but the ministry of the Spirit now transforms those hearts. Paul says in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 3, For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory, the glory of the ministry of the Spirit. And this makes Paul really bold in his ministry, according to verse 12. The ministry of the Spirit, Paul says, brings life. The glory of this ministry lasts while the glory of Moses faded. Look, this glory brings righteousness. This glory brings life. It's folly to go back to a lesser glory. You know, like instant coffee may have been okay once, but once you discover barista coffee, you're not going back. How much more so with the glory of God? Just as Moses turned to the Lord's glory unveiled, now Paul says in verse 16, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Not just Moses has access to God's glory, anyone who turns to the Lord has access to his glory, the glory that brings life. Notice here a subtle but important distinction. In the ministry of Moses, who was it that took the veil away? It was Moses. Each time he entered the Lord's presence, he lifted his veil. In the ministry of the Spirit, who is it that removes the veil? It's the Lord. He takes it away. See, our hard, sinful human hearts can't take the veil away. It needs to be taken away by the Lord. But the good news is that he does it. He removes the veil. If you think about how good it was for Moses to be able to spend 40 days and 40 nights in the glory of the Lord, those who turn to the Lord now get more. We get unveiled access to the Lord's glory day in, day out. The Holy Spirit enables us to do what the law could never do. The Holy Spirit doesn't just reveal our hard, sinful human hearts. The Holy Spirit changes them. The Holy Spirit brings freedom, we're told, in verse 17. Now, this isn't freedom to do whatever we want, the freedom that we often hear talked about in our world. That doesn't understand this verse in context. What this verse is talking about is the freedom to live in unveiled glory, the freedom to obey the Lord. That's the freedom that we have. The freedom to be transformed, or as Paul goes on in verse 18, the freedom to reflect God's glory. You might notice in verse 18, the word contemplate there, it's actually the word for mirror. And if you've got a Bible in front of you with footnotes, you might see a footnote that says, or reflect. And reflect is actually a much better word, I think, than contemplate. 
We don't contemplate the Lord's glory with our unveiled faces. Actually, what we do is reflect it. That's the whole context of the passage with Moses, that he radiated it and we reflect that glory. Well, where's that leave us? There's two things. Firstly, there's some here today who are seeking to find not human glory, but the glory of God. And I want to honour you. I want to honour you in that desire. Our human hearts and minds want to work things out. And so it makes sense for us to want to try and find glory, God's glory for ourselves. But your heart won't reveal God's glory. Don't look deeper inside your heart to change your heart somehow. Don't try and make yourself better. What you are looking for needs to be unveiled. But the beauty of this passage, the glory of this passage is that it can be unveiled. We're told that it can be unveiled by turning to the Lord. Anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. If you're searching for God's glory, you need the veil removed. And the way to have the veil removed is to turn to the Lord. You might think that that's all a bit too hard. It's all a bit too tough. You might think that you can't do it. But that's the glory of the old covenant just pointing out to you your sinful heart. A heart that can't trust in God fully. A heart that can't obey him. Turn to the Lord and he will remove the veil. And he will set you free by his spirit to obey him. Others of us here tonight are people who have turned to the Lord, who've had that veil removed and we are free to live in the spirit, to obey the Lord. But what's it look like for us to be changed into his image with ever increasing glory, as verse 18 says? Now, there's a couple of errors here that I want to touch on before I want to give us perhaps a way forward. The first error that I think we make as we think about what it looks like to live as God's free people is the error of false freedom. This is a type of Christian freedom which is wrapped up in really doing whatever it is we want to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with skydiving. Don't hear me say that that's the wrong thing to do. Uh, If you want to go skydiving, knock yourself out. Or maybe don't knock yourself out because that will be a really bad ending. But go do it. Enjoy yourself. But the analogy here is that that's a type of freedom that could really easily end badly. And that's what happens if we just do whatever we want to. What Paul is talking about is not the type of freedom that is just a Christian version of following your heart. That's not at all what he means. Remember that he has spoken about himself just before this passage, just a little bit earlier, as being a what? A captive to Christ. He's not talking about doing whatever we feel like doing. That's not his type of freedom. His freedom is freedom to follow the one who has the victory. That's the freedom he's talking about. We're free to obey. 
The second error that we can make is that of what I call sanctified stone. And this, I think, is the error that many of us perhaps uh, are more likely to fall into, and that is that we use our freedom to become legalistic. We revert to laws. We go back to the former glory rather than living in the, in the glory that far surpasses it. We impose rules on each other's transformation and impose rules on our own. We speak in terms of should. They should do this. He should do that. Why haven't they done this? Rather than speak in terms of the freedom of how the Spirit is at work transforming each other's lives. So if we don't make those errors, what might it look like to live as people in the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit. For a few different reasons, I've had uh, cause to think about this over the past few months. And what I've discovered or rediscovered is something that John Wesley called years ago the means of grace. I don't think he was the first to use it, but he popularised the expression, the means of grace. The means of grace acknowledges that while God in his sovereign power can change us any way that he wants to, God in his beautiful design has given us specific means or ways by which he meets us with his grace. And as we're met with his grace, we're transformed into his image. Some of the means of grace that Wesley talked about were prayer and Bible reading, meditation on scripture, memorisation of scripture, Communion, baptism, Christian community, confession, serving and giving, all means of grace. Now, some of you might say, well, actually, aren't these just what we call Christian spiritual disciplines? And some people do call them that, but I want to just pull back a bit from that because what's that language actually do to us? It says it's about me. And what I need to do, I discipline myself to do these things. And while there's a truth to that, that I won't deny, I think speaking of them as a means of grace liberates us from an old way of thinking, a way that's tied in with rules and regulations and says to us, or allows God to say to us, here I will meet you in my grace as you read my word, as you meditate on it, as you come to me in prayer, as you serve, as you give, as you engage in Christian community, I will meet you in my grace. Do you want to come? It's an invitation from God to be living in the freedom of the Spirit and to be being transformed into his image day by day. It's not a regulation that we have to do but an invitation into the means of grace. Means of grace acknowledges that it's God's work. Think about it like this. What would you do if you wanted to see a shooting star? What would you do? You could just say, oh, well, I want to see a shooting star. I hope that happens one day. And you could hold out in the hope that it happened one day. And I say to you, good luck with that. Or... You could say, I really do want to see a shooting star, so what am I going to do? I'm going to put myself in a place where that's more likely to happen. First of all, I understand I need to go outside. Whoa. I'm going to go outside. 
I need to do it at night as well. Whoa. So I'm going to go outside at night and I'm going to gaze up into the stars. But I also understand that where I live, there's a whole lot of artificial light and that means I can't see some of the night light. So I'm going to get away from the artificial light, get out of the city. Whoa. And I'm sorry, I'm being (laughs) cynical. And uh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find a place where I can gaze into the night sky without the artificial light and wait for a shooting star. And you know what? If you do that, the chances of you seeing a shooting star, maybe not on night one, but the chances of you seeing that is pretty good. You're likely going to see that because you know that that's where you need to place yourself. Now, let me ask you this. By doing that, did you make the shooting star happen? kind of hoping you're going to say no. But if anyone can, I'd love to know that as well. Of course you don't make the shooting star happen. You just put yourself in the place where it's most likely that you will see it. Do you see the analogy? You want to grow into the image of Christ? Put yourself in the place where that's likely to happen. The means of grace. Remember our hearts Don't reveal God's glory. God's glory reveals our hearts. And as we put ourselves in a place where we can see and experience God's glory, our hearts not only are revealed, but they're transformed. This is the glory of the ministry of the Spirit, that it doesn't just leave us with a problem, but it resolves the problem. He resolves the problem. The Spirit of God transforms our hearts. And if we believe this, if we believe this to be true, then why would we not accept God's invitation into grace? Why would we not place ourselves where where God is going to transform us into his image day by day? Our hearts don't reveal God's glory but God's glory reveals and transforms our human hearts. Enter into his grace that he might continue to transform you and me into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes not from ourselves, but from the Lord. Our hearts won't reveal God's glory, but God's glory reveals and transforms our hearts. Enter into grace and experience the transformation that the Spirit brings. Let me pray. Lord God, it is indeed glorious that you by your Spirit invite us into grace, that you by your Spirit offer to transform us into your likeness. And we thank you for the invitation into grace. Allow us to accept it. Allow us to walk in it. That we might radiate your glory for the good of those around us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. 
We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.